Well, before we get into the word tonight, you know, part of um, coming before the church is it even records for us in the book of Acts. That Paul and Barnabas went back was to testify what God had done. And so we have a short video that is a testimony of our God and how great he is. And it actually, of course, ties into the scripture tonight, which I'm always really grateful when God does something like that. But so without explaining too much other than uh, for those of you that are maybe new here, we, of course, are very much partnered with and close to uh, Pottersfield Ministries, who has a business called Mudman, who has a few venues in which they get out into the community to witness Christ, take the church kind of out. One of those venues is the truck, Mudman Truck. And on its way to Philadelphia now to service a men's conference that's going on there at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, big event going on, uh, they ran into a little uh, distraction. And so we're going to watch the video, and you're going to see how great our God truly is. I'm not going to let a semi hitting us stop us, because this is what the Lord wants to accomplish, so we're going. How many? An accident nearly stopped their mission to spread the gospel, gospel but five men say a high power, higher power intervened and kept them safe. Good evening, I'm Dave Sess. I'm Mandy Noel. We followed this accident last night at 11. Their truck was destroyed when a tractor trailer slammed into it. And the men behind the wheel believe it was an act of divine intervention that helped them survive. It's our top story at 6. Tonight, the chassis of their food truck sits at a tow yard in Austintown. It was all workers could pull from the scene. This is how it appeared last night after a semi smashed into it, sending the crumpled body over the guardrail. He was in the cab of the truck and I was in the back. Kenny Bryant and Jordan Cole are with the Montana-based Pottersfield Ministry. They and three others were driving to Philadelphia when the truck broke down on the Ohio Turnpike in Newton Township. While the others took their van to go off and look for a part, Bryant and Cole suddenly had a feeling they needed to get out of the truck. Both tell me it was the Lord preparing them. It was crazy because at, talking afterwards, we both realized that we, we knew that the truck was going to get hit before it got hit. Literally seconds later, impact. Cole was pushed over the guardrail while Bryant was hit by debris. The semi's windshield hung from a power line. Amazingly, no one was badly hurt, and this morning the group was heading on to Philadelphia and then to Florida, only now they don't have a food truck. We're going to buy some tents, we're going to buy some grills, we're going to rent some fryers, and we're just going to, we're going to make it happen. You see, the food truck was how the ministry raised money to sponsor needy children around the world. They've sold 300,000 hamburgers the last two years, but even this morning, they found strength in the scriptures. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. A race they believe will carry them at least one more day. We're going to watch the Lord provide us the truck because we still got to go to Florida. Getting there any way they can. In Austintown, Jerry Ricciuti, WKBN 27 First News. Have an answer when they ask. And that's exactly what happened. You know, sometimes things like that go down and you go, why? Well, we don't always know why, but we are specifically told how to answer when they ask. You know, and that is God's got to provide, God's got an answer, God's got a reason. And all I know, one thing is that um, 
you know, Acts 20:24 was read to the entire valley in Ohio on the local news. God's word never returns void. So it accomplished whatever it was meant to accomplish by Pastor Jordan knowing how to open his mouth and proclaim that his trust is in God Almighty no matter what happens. And so that event, if nothing else, became an entire witness to that community. And who knows who else? I mean, this morning I got a call from Calvary Magazine because they wanted the links and they wanted uh, the photographs to be able to post on their website for their community of followers that in, in many ways is I mean, totally different than ours. I'm sure we have some overlap, but... Uh, the the idea of the witness that this is becoming and will continue to be as this is followed up because don't you know they're going to want to know so how did it work out going to Florida and you know were you able to make some burgers in Philly and and uh, we're going to make sure that they have answers to those questions but God Almighty would have us to know Him and that is just such a great testimony about the experiential knowledge of God and that's what you know Derek so much taught on last week. In Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to get into Exodus 7 tonight. So as you open your Bibles, I'm going to lift this night up in prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your mercy upon those men, their lives, this ministry and the resources, Lord, that you've provided. And now in, in ways it could be looked at as a deficit or a taking away, but Lord... Uh, you are greater than all of this and how you will now be glorified and continue to be glorified in all of it. We just are anxious to watch, anticipate, Lord, you to do exceedingly abundant beyond what we could even think or ask as you go forward in, uh, in, in just using the vehicle of Mudman and the men that are out there with it, Lord, as a testimony unto you. And Tonight, Lord, we want to all the more gain insights into your word, into how this connects with it. Uh, the book of Exodus, old school, Old Testament, and some would even say a different God. And yet you show you are always the same and never change. And we can count trust in that fact tonight as we even look at our lives and wonder why certain things happen or how they go down and what we're supposed to do even in the midst of them. And yet, Lord, it is all for the purpose of us turning to you and the faith that you would have us to walk in, believing what you've promised. So may that be the encouragement we get tonight in our hearts as we dive into Exodus 7. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen, amen. Now, really, you know, um, Exodus, well, like all the scriptures, written as a book or as a letter, an epistle, not having chapters and verses, we stuck them in and praise that they were, you know, led by the Holy Spirit. But there's just times when mm, this really would have fit better with that and this really should have started up here and not down here. And, and we kind of see that as chapter 7 really could have started more, more contextually in verse 28 of chapter 6. So I'm just going to touch on that because it does flow right into 7. And in fact could have even ended a verse early in, in verse 24 of chapter 7 because 25 really is the context going in now to chapter 8. But not to, not to get into all that study kind of stuff and confuse anybody, just want you to know why I back up a little bit. And even though Derek did an excellent job, just want to talk about 
you know, this idea of Old Testament, which some churches unfortunately have discarded in their teaching regimen to just say, well, you know, different covenant, you know, stories that really don't inspire or say anything, and that just ain't so. And everything, in the easiest way I was reminded, everything in the Old Testament is a, is a valid, vivid, clear picture physically of what God would then accomplish through Jesus Christ, New Covenant, in the New Testament spiritually. So I, I think about that. He said a couple of different things last time in, uh, in, in chapter 6, and one of them was right away in, in verse 6, where he said he not only was going to move on Pharaoh so that he'd use his strong hand to let them go, but he'd even use his strong hand that Pharaoh would drive out his people out of the land. And that's just showing how God is in control, not just of us, our lives, you know, the sovereignty of God and the preeminence that he has in us that we desire, but in the world and how it affects us. He is able with his hand, as it says um, in the Proverbs, to turn the king's hand like water. I mean, the heart, the king's heart like water. So... You know, the, the Lord having that, that complete control. And then he also shared down in verses 7 and 8 that he was going to then reveal himself also to the people in a personal way. And let me just review that because it has so much to do with what we continue on with. God says in verse 7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the bond, the burdens of Egypt of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into a land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. This is the, the Lord truly trying to introduce Himself, not just as Yahweh or Jehovah. You know those that that name of God that we don't even really know how He pronounced it. They were aware of him in name title, but as Derek pointed out in that verses when he said, then they will know me. It is a gnosko knowledge. It is an experiential knowledge of God. They've been, remember, they've been 400 years in Egypt as slaves. They are now to a point where they're at breaking point. They're groaning and God has heard their groans and he is now stepping in. God's timing being perfect. And now not only is he going to reveal himself to the Egyptians, or to the Hebrews, say at first we'll deal with them, so they would know him, but also to the Egyptians, that they would know him. And, and they would know that he is the true and living God. I mean, I don't, without a big history lesson, we know that Egypt, we all know by the hieroglyphics and everything that they were into, was a pantheistic culture. They worshipped everything, all kinds of things. And, you know, pagan witchcraft, sorcery, as we're going to see tonight, all used as part of how they would deal with things. And God is looking to reveal himself to them. You know, otherwise he could have just sent an angel, you know, like he dealt with the Assyrians that night, 185,000, just dead. Next morning, dead. Hebrews get up, hey, they're dead. Hey, let's go get those, you know, let's move into the pyramids, you know, that's kind of a cool thing. And he didn't choose to do that. Rather, we have a God who in all ways is seeking to reveal himself. You know, to the non-believer by what happens, and to the believer by what happens, even more. So, yes, we walk by faith and not by sight, but how much more are we daily to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and walking by faith even all the more?
So it's not just a one-shot deal when I got saved, you know. It is, no, it, it is everything God needs. And in fact, when he says there, you know, that he's going to show them, you know, who he is and, you know, that I am the Lord, that Yahweh, the Jehovah word, it means the, the becoming one. He is the almighty one, the always was one, the self-existent one. So he becomes what we need him to be for us to understand and get him even more. Doesn't mean he compromises who he is about at all, but knows what we need to see and 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 how to draw us in. And I just love that because when you know in verses, it was actually he started up in seven. Therefore, he said, "Say to my children," he's telling you know Moses, "I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a great and." And with great judgments. This is everything he does now for us in Jesus Christ. You know, brings us out of Egypt. He brings us, you know, metaphorically, it's a it's symbol of the world. He brings us out of the world. He brings us, rescues us from the bondage that we are all in. Sin. Everything that had a grip on us, he has set us free in. He's redeemed us, meaning he's bought us out. He's bought us out of sin, bought us out of the world. And what did he pay to buy us with? His blood. So it's all been done. He will take us as his people. He says that to them, Old Testament. How much more does he say it to us when he says he's adopted us and made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ? He says that he will be our God. The revelation that we are able to call him Abba, Daddy, Father because of the adoption. Personal relationship. No more a religious practice, an order of sacrifice and, and, and ritual, but now all based on relationship because of the intimacy. He'll bring us into the land. He will guide us. He will show us the way into our individual callings and yet also in our group interaction, corporately as well as individually. These are all promises he's given us. He will give us a heritage, provision, everything we need, is provided for. If somehow I find myself in need, then I better check at how I'm stewarding what he's giving. Right? It's not about him not giving me enough. I need to steward better what he does provide. And then, of course, the ultimate provision, eternal life with him forever. So this is all what he has done for us and making us his children. Yet he promises it also to the Israelites. So that's also what he's going to do for them. So I, I just love that. So as we begin um, chapter 7, we're going to see the, now the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And when it, when it talks about the hardness of the heart, you know, we, you know, visually we get the picture and we think of a heart, and it's very much a stone heart. Well, he's talking more so about the decisions and the choices that Pharaoh makes. In other words, Pharaoh decides, this is what I'm going to do. Or more so important, this is what I'm not going to do, right? And that's him hardening his heart. So I can, I can perk up when I hear that because I have a heart and I know it can be hard. And I know it can be hardened. It can, in other words, go in a direction. And that's truly what the scripture talks about. So watch that because... Pharaoh's response back in verse 2 of chapter 6 was, Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Well, see, now as we're getting into chapter 7, what we would call that, which is just the continuation of the story, God says, 
I'm going to show myself to him. I'm going to let him see. Now, God is always saying that to us too. Hopefully we don't have hearts like that. But that is what he's always seeking to do, is reveal himself to this world whom he loves and gave his son to die for. Right Now, he actually uses us for that purpose many times. You know, there's the miraculous, and we're going to see that tonight as we get into the plagues and see what God starts to do, but he uses us. You understand, I've heard it said, I don't know who said it, it's a quote many pastors use, but you might be the only Bible some people ever read. So how you act, your testimony of life, your response meter at what happens when something happens to you, that's an opportunity for the world to look on and see Jesus. Hopefully, you represent well. I represent the way I'm supposed to. Because they're watching. They don't know. You know? And of course, the flip side of that is other believers and the responsibility we have for our brethren and sisters to not stumble them. Even if it comes down to eating meat, Paul says, I'm not going to do it if it's going to stumble somebody out of the kingdom. So watch that, because this is all part of what the Old Testament is here to reveal to us. God showed physically, sometimes extremely dramatically, with the wars and the, the annihilation of nations, which the world will look at and say, how horrible that God did that and you say he loves. And I turn it around and say, how merciful that he knew that they were only going to get worse. And he took them at a time when maybe some could live, but certainly those that were living for him could look on and go, that is what sin gets you. And see, we can do that in the New Testament by looking at lives that walk from God or that lives that try to exist without him and watch the devastation and, and the darkness and say, that's what it gets you. you know? And then we, living in the light as contrast, have an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that lies within us when they ask. So, man, that was an introduction, huh? So let's get into chapter 7. Well, no, let's start with chapter 6, verse 28, because then we're going to roll right into 7, right, as it goes. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. All caps, that's that Jehovah Yahweh word, right? I am the becoming one. I am the all existent one. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, but behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. And how shall Pharaoh Heed me. So we've already heard Moses give this example. I don't speak well. And a lot of people, you know, go back and forth about this. Some say that Mo, it meant that Moses stuttered. It's all the, you know, okay, a little distracting maybe. That could have been it. Or just that he, he, he wasn't an eloquent speaker. I don't know. The dude grew up in Egypt. You know, he was raised in the Egyptian schools. I don't even know how many languages he might have known and stuff, but he was raised in the best of the best. So I have a hard time believing that there was any kind of density and, you know, just like he didn't get it, you know. Um, but what I can believe is that based on what had already happened to him trying to lead Egypt and them 
or, or, the, or the Hebrews out of Egypt and them res, you know, resisting him, rejecting him and stuff. He could have been dealing with fear. I don't know what it is. All I know is it's a picture for me is you and me have no excuse to not answer what God has asked us to do. And yet I look at this and I see how merciful God is because God doesn't slap him upside the head and go, look, you know, I made your mouth and I made, you know, he could have done the Job thing and gone down the whole list of where were you when I, he doesn't do that. What he does is he gives him a man around him that can then handle the job. And what we actually get as we go into uh, chapter seven is a clear picture of how prophetic utterance works with God and how he ministers through his prophets, which is still a gift today, still in the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that, right? Prophetic gift. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell, tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. So there's the picture right there. So God says, okay, you don't think you can speak well. Well, I'm going to give Aaron then as my voice, my prophet. You're going to tell him, I'm going to tell you what to tell Aaron, and Aaron's going to represent the prophet. He's going to represent me. And that's what a prophet's job is. A prophet's job is to speak out, speak forth the truth of God, to turn people to God, to draw people to God. That's, sometimes it's a little harsh, and other times it's more exhortation or encouragement, comfort, you know, that's more what we have now in the New Testament because we all have the Holy Spirit. And so as we are born again and a, and a prophetic utterance comes, our spirit bears witness with that spirit as being of God and, and we get it, right? But back then, this was a little bit more forthtelling, like this is what I'm going to do if it doesn't get right. And it's, it's just a clear picture. But note that Aaron wasn't supposed to speak anything that God didn't tell him through Moses, we are only responsible as prophets, now living for the purposes of God, to speak the message. We're not responsible for the response. We're just responsible for the message. So please keep that in mind so you don't take it upon yourself and it doesn't wipe you out or burden you or depress you or, or you feel like a failure, so why bother and I'm giving up? Because you're trying to share with your family. You're trying to speak the truths of God to people that you love, that you work with, that you're around, living with, living around, and they won't receive it. And yet you're not responsible for the response. You're only responsible for the message. Plant, water. Maybe you'll get a chance to reap. Maybe God will use you in that position. But we are responsible for sure to be spreading out the seed, right? So scriptures are really clear on that. And I just want to make that clear. Whatever excuse... Moses had, it, it wasn't valid, and God is going to say, look, you're, I'm going to make you like a God to Moses, which just means now Moses is going to be the one that says, well, you don't like that? We're going to turn some water into blood. Well, you don't like that? Well, here comes some lice. You know, I mean, he's going to do things that no man should be able to do. And yet Aaron is the one who's going to warn him, warn Pharaoh, if you don't listen, if you don't see and hear with spiritual eyes and ears, then this is going to happen. So... I want to keep that in mind that that's really what's going on here. Even though it's interesting, too, that Aaron was, of course, the older one. He was the older brother. So it, it didn't have anything to do with somehow lineage seniority or anything or you know, who, was, you know, who, who was supposed to have the upper hand here. 
It's God's calling upon an individual and that gifting and, and being able to use it. So he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So again, just going forward and doing what they said. But now, just to touch on this, because this was actually brought up in the men's study a couple weeks ago, where in the, in the book of Joshua, it said that God hardened their hearts, hardened the enemy's hearts against Israel. And now here, once again, we see God hardening Pharaoh's heart. You go, well, that doesn't seem fair. Like, if God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, then how could God ever judge Pharaoh in eternity for doing wrong when he's the one that actually hardened his heart to do it? See, and this is the thing that some people think about. Well, again, why then we have pastor teachers that, that go through the word and we, and we study and we look at meanings and we look at definitions and we look at what the Greek said and what the Hebrew said and how it comes together to then translate into our English language, which is pretty much a shallow language, no offense to teachers out there. But uh, it doesn't quite cover the full gamut. And what happens here is, as we're going to see the harden and the hardening going on as we go through the, uh, the, the next few chapters, right? This is about Pharaoh hardening his heart, which that word is kasha in the Hebrew. And it happens to mean an, an obstinance or a rebellion, a rebellious nature or stiff-necked. Now, we're used to seeing that, right, with the children of Israel. They get stiff-necked. They make a decision, and they're going to stick to it. Well, that's what Pharaoh was, would do. And then it says, though, that God hardened his heart. You're thinking, well, then how could, again, we can't blame Pharaoh for doing what God is doing to him. No, that's not the word when then it says that God hardened his heart. That word is chazaz, chazak. I think that's how you pronounce it. It means to firm up or strengthen. You see, this is where I start paying attention then. Because what the scriptures are telling me is that in my free will, in the choice I have of making decision, I can actually do so against God. And as God will try to get a hold of me, try to send warning to me, try to get me to pay attention, listen, hear, or know truth, be it by a prophet or be it by some circumstance in my life or even a miracle that might happen around me, something miraculous, if I choose to, to not listen, stiffen my neck even yet against God, he will eventually say, have it your way. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to force my love on you. I'm not going to drag you into heaven. You have a choice. Even though I've chosen you from before the foundations of the world, you have to come. And I'm not going to turn this into a whole predestination, free will, and all that kind of talk. But I'm just saying, he was the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. And he will not violate the very character of free choice that he gives us to love and respond to him as being the lover of our souls that's come after us. And that's what I want to make sure we, we, you know, we get out of, this, of, of the scriptures here tonight. 
is that there is that time when even God says in his word, other place, that he will not strive with man forever. Will not strive with the heart of man forever because that heart is wicked, deceitfully wicked above all things, he says. When is that point? Man, when God says enough. Well, turn your... No, I'm just kidding. Because I don't know. It's, it's don't even get there. Don't get close to it. Stay close to the Lord. Stay soft to his heart. This is the time when I'd love to call Miss Pam up and have her sing, Soften My Heart, Lord. And if you've ever seen Pottersfield Ministry and you've ever heard Miss Pam sing that song and you've ever seen Pastor Michael demonstrating in the pottery and in the clay and with what he's doing during that time, you totally understand what this message is saying. Keep your heart flexible, palatable, usable, moldable to the potter's hands, the great potter, right? Because there's a time when that clay gets so hard and you've seen Pastor Michael demonstrate it when all you can do is break it. But then he puts it in the water, he puts it in the bucket and he softens it back up that he might remold it. But the process is painful, it's hard. And why go through that if we can see in the scriptures just this warning to don't get stubborn, don't be rebellious, don't turn your ear off when God is saying, listen to me. Man, you know, we go to these the men's Bible study you know, every Wednesday morning at, at, at Coffee Traders, and what we will do is we'll have different guys share, you know, every week. And, uh, and it, age never matters. They can be a 19-year-old. They can be a 20-something-year-old. They can be a 30-something-year-old. I, I mean, 40-something-year-old. We, it, it's all about the men coming and sharing. But every week, I'm always sensitive to ask the Lord, to soften my heart and perk my ears up. I don't care if it's a 19-year-old speaking. If God's trying to get a hold of me and tell me something, I want to hear it. And I want to get up from that table walking in the truths that I've just received. So very important that that we see that going on, right? Because Pharaoh doesn't. He He has chosen how to respond to God, and God has firmed his choice, firmed it up. And that's exactly what the scriptures are saying. So keep that in mind because we know, again, the totality of scripture, we're not just focusing on one little area. It says, but God is not slack concerning his promises, right? Some count slackness, like why he hasn't come, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9. We know that God is desiring everybody to know him, see him. He's the lover of our souls. He has created us all. So even in Egypt, even Pharaoh, he's coming after and he's seeking to reveal himself. And this is such an important principle to get because, man, I can make choices and God will just eventually say, okay, then it's, have it your way and I'll strengthen your choice. Now, again, he comes after us. It's, it's not without warning, but it's interesting Aaron and Moses only get, they only warn Pharaoh the first three times. The plagues come in these threes. There's three, three, three. There's ten of them. And there's three sets of threes. And then the, the tenth one is like, whoa. That's like, okay, now I'm taking your firstborn, you know. But the three, three, threes, only the first three, he warns him before. Then he stops warning him. And the consequences, if you want to use that word rather than the plagues, just keep coming. And I don't know if you've seen that in somebody's life before where it's plague, it's consequence, 
But God is warning. God is warning. God is warning. Not listening, not listening, not listening. Okay, does that stop the plagues? Does that stop the circumstance? No. They get more severe. They, and, and, you know, maybe I'm more sensitive to this being a pastor because, you know, I get a lot of times when people come to me for counsel. Well, this is what's going on in my life and this is the problems that I'm having. Well, this is what the Word of God says. Now, either you didn't know that and I've just informed you so you can walk in truth now and be set free, or you know what the Word says and you're not doing it. And that is why disaster is happening. So why don't you set yourself free by walking in obedience? And so we all have that choice. We all have the ability to do that. And the danger would be that some would not. Principle is proclaimed in Romans chapter 1, right? Where God is, the, the, the knowledge of God is put aside in man's heart. They refuse to acknowledge him anymore. And so it actually says that God gives them over then to a debased mind. You want to think that way? You want me out of your life? Okay. You know, we certainly have seen it here in the Americas, a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian ethic that our forefathers planted the seeds for and wrote documents containing, and those things have been now twisted and manipulated to where they try to use them against the Christian ethic and say, oh, that's not what they meant, and we need to get that out of here. And, and, and having no religious and guidance at all is what's really going to give us freedom, and it's, it's going to be um, actually what takes us down. You know, and, and so we absolutely have to be aware of these principles, right? And, and so watch this, because that's what, even in verse 5, it proclaims that he's going to do this, that the Egyptians would know him. You know, he's, he's going to have things happen that they would know. And sometimes it happens to us. You know, you've discovered it as well as I do. Signing up to be a Christian does not mean now life gets easy. Now we finally get... <laughs> The, the, the free ticket of no consequence, tribulation, or trial. No, that's not it, it at all. It's how we handle it and the witness and the testimony that it is. So watch for that. Because, I, again, the, the Mudman truck absolutely destroyed, and yet everybody safe, and everybody now on the 6 o'clock news getting to proclaim the power of God, the purposes of God, the mission of God. I mean, if, that's almost like a non-funny Blues Brothers film. You know, like, we're on a mission, we're going to Philadelphia, and we're going to make burgers, and, and we're going to see what God does. You know, and, they, and everybody gets excited about it. And Man, I had somebody call on the phone today. They never identified themselves. Berta sent me the message. Some guy from Ohio saw it on the news, and he says, they're all praying for us. They, you know, we don't even know who you are. I found you. I hope this is the right Potter's Field. I found you on the web. You know, I, I hope this is the same ministry that has the truck that just got destroyed. But we want you to know that we are praying for you guys. And we just saw what happened. And we're just so blessed that we want to pray for you. And it's tearing up God's people, right? It's working not only in us, but also in the Egyptians. And I love that. But this stuff happens. First Peter four, twelve through thirteen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which are is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. That's what just happened. Now that's what Moses and Aaron are trying to do with Pharaoh. Unfortunately, it's not going to work. 
Pharaoh is not buying into this idea of God getting all the glory and him getting to rejoice in what God's doing. But I just want to plant that as a good, solid point from tonight so that you walk out of here knowing it. Because really, to walk in it, you have to believe it. You can't be half in. It can't be like, well, the good stuff's from God. No, Scripture says that all good things do come from above, from the Father of light in whom there is no darkness. No shadow, no turning, right? But the trial and the testing and the refining of our faith that it would grow all the more, even more precious than gold and silver, the scripture says, is what he's trying to accomplish in us. So let's make sure that we absolutely, absolutely are about it. So this is what's happening now. And it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called his wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they did, so they did, in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And again, there's a choice. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So again, there's that choice of seeing God work, seeing something miraculous, and him going, no, it's just a trick. My guys can do it too. So, Ian, like... What's going on here? Show a miracle, right? So God had given Moses these miracle signs that he was going to do. He was going to be able to turn blood into water into blood, which means that's yet to come. He was going to be able to do this thing with the rod. And he was also, he also given that one where he could, you know, he could put his hand in, in his jacket, pull it out, and it would be all leprous. Then he could put it back in and pull it out, and it would be pure. You know, so, you know, imagine God says that to you, and you're like, I mean, wouldn't you just want to walk around all the time doing that? Somebody, somebody starts mouthing off to you, and you're like, you know, I, you could just so play this up, right? So it's got to be a humble man. In fact, Moses, it's proclaimed, was the most humble man that ever walked before God. But of course, Moses wrote that, so we always take that with a grain. But the idea that, that God is doing this to draw people to himself and and, ex- and so people would experience him is everything our lives are supposed to be. Just so you know that. Just so I remember that and realize it, right? That this is what Pharaoh's heart, man, it, he's deciding and, and, and doesn't want to turn this way, right? So he turns, he throws this thing down, it becomes a serpent. And the word there, serpent, it translates into snake, it translates into dragon, it translates into crocodile. So we don't really know what this, you know, I know we've all seen the Ten Commandment movie, and I talked about that when we started the movie, like, the, or the book, like, let's not, you know, let's not wrap everything into that, that tightness. I think what's more important here is to realize that God is going to reveal himself to the Egyptians by revealing himself as Yahweh Jehovah, the becoming one, the ever-existent one, the one that there was no beginning to, there is no end to, and that is the one and only true God. 
So th this is what he's seeking to do. And so right away, you know, as he's doing the serpent, of course, serpent worship was part of the Egyptian culture. And so what he's going to do is, because they were, like I said, very pantheistic, and so everything was worshipped. It's kind of like India, you know. So what he's going to do is all these plagues are going to show that God, Yahweh, Jehovah, is almighty and will always win. You know, like whatever your God is, whatever you're bringing, I'm going to win. Now, it also reveals to us that God is willing to swallow up and do away with anything that we're letting into our lives that would be a point of worship or that would supersede him as where we go, how we go, and who we go to, right? So if there's those things in your world that you're holding on to or that you have as reason to use and walk with, don't be surprised if God somehow brings it down or takes it away or swallows it up because he is looking for you and I to look at him only, only. We're supposed to be looking. So they do this with enchantments, which literally means they are skilled in the magical arts. Now we read this and we say, well, what, was it just tricks? Yeah, there's a debate about that. Some scholars go back, you know, back and forth. Well, it was just magic tricks and, you know, it's like watching Houdini or something. And then other guys go, no, it was demonic controlled, you know, evidences, miracles. There are such things, and they are New Testament qualified. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, The coming of the lawless, of lawlessness, this would be the Antichrist, right? The lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. See, the deception only happens to those that are refusing to see God, refusing to see his hand reaching out, extending out, the prophetic word being spoken. And instead of going, man, that's God, and he's coming after me, and he really left the 99, and he does love me, and he wants me, and so here I am, all right, I, let's do this. They go, no, it's... Uh, whatever, and coincidence, and not for me, and I can't. No. Mm -mm. Believer can never say, I can't. Believer can only say, I won't. Only. Now, the world can't, because they don't have the Spirit of God. But for us, we can never say we can't. We can only say we won't, because we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. It's Scripture. It's proof, right? Now, so these miracles are coming, but please understand that Miracles can prove that the supernatural is real, right? But miracles cannot prove that something is true or not. So if something happens, some like, wow, you know, these two guys are in this truck. They, now, in another interview, if you, if you go online and you actually watch the news there, it's really fun. The first one, the first news little segment they did, that was, I think, the second or third one. Um, Jordan actually starts out by going, we, you know, we were both in the truck and we heard a voice tell us to get out of the truck. That's all he says. Now, you, you know, if you catch that and you're going, you're on the Ohio Turnpike about 10 o'clock at night and you heard a voice tell you to get out of the truck 
you know, there was nobody else there, you know? The important thing was they got out of the truck, they heard the voice, they got out, they were obedient, and they did it. Supernatural, absolutely. Was it true? Absolutely. How do I know that? Because it brought life. Because it was good. It preserved. It was the purposes of God being secured and going forward. Satan comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He does not come to bring life, secure, and give you more understanding into God's glory and plan. That's not his gig. So a miracle that would draw you away to something other than Almighty God in your plan and purpose moving forward with him is not from him. You know, just to make that really clear, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 and 9 says, speaks into that. It says that there are men that are always learning, believers that are, all, well, people in the church, that are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, Janus and Jambres, these magicians for Pharaoh, right, resisted Moses. So do those who resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, and theirs also was, as theirs also was. So eventually, see, the magicians keep up until the end, and then they can't keep up anymore. Because God only lets it go so far, and then he, he proves it to be a lie. Meanwhile, though, people are getting sucked in. People are getting drawn to the, the, the miraculous, the supernatural. Test the spirits we're told to do, right? Anything that proclaims Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, amen, that's a, that's a good spirit because you can't proclaim it without the Spirit of God. But talk is cheap, isn't it? So proclamation isn't just what I can say with my mouth. Proclamation is also the evidence of my life and the truths that I follow. So, well, then how can you be sure if something's of God or not of God? Well, you first of all, check it out with the Word. If the word proclaims it as being from the God, then you can trust it. I remember going to a conference once, a worship conference, and, and a woman got up and sang prophecy. And the guy next to me that had traveled with me, you know, and he goes, is that biblical? I was like, yeah, it's biblical. I don't see anything wrong with it. She is singing prophecy. It's comforting. It's exhorting. It's everything that prophecy is supposed to be. It's very encouraging. And it's, you know, it's being spoken to us. I go, yeah, I'm good with it, you know. But it's like you got to check it, you know? That's why there's an overseer that are check. But check everything through the word of God. Of course, check it with your spirit. Do you have a check in your spirit about what you're experiencing? Like, whoa, that's, I've never heard of that before. Something's weird about this. Well, I don't know, kind of cool though. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the new thing. That's dangerous. That's Remember my pastor in, in California always said, if it's new, it isn't true. If it's true, it isn't new. It's always been there, and God's word proclaims it. So watch for that, right? Because your spirit will, will give you a check. If you don't understand, maybe you can't find it in the word you don't know, you don't really necessarily feel bad about it. It's just kind of something weird, and it's kind of new. Seek counsel. Seek counsel about it. Go to men that have been schooled in the word, that have walked in the truths, that have the evidence in the life, or a woman, if you're a woman, if you feel more comfortable with that, but check it with somebody who you, you know has a little bit more spiritual ground under their sandals. Go to them and, and ask them, what do you think about this? I don't know. What do you, how do you see it? And of course, first and foremost, as you're looking through the word, does Jesus 
talk about it or do the apostles example it? That's always a good, just clear break right there. You know, is it, I remember one guy wanting me to lay hands on him so that he would, um, you know, in prayer, so that he would uh, be slain. You know, he'd pass out. So I can't do that. And he's like, well, why not? I go, because it's, it's not in the scriptures. Like, I don't see anywhere that people are slain in the spirit, except for these, like, guards that were going to arrest Jesus that one night, and they weren't believers. And, you know, they were overwhelmed by his, by his truth. But I don't see that we're supposed to lay hands on each other. And that, but besides, we've got some wood pews, and you might hurt yourself. And, and I said, let me ask you, though. You want me to do this for you. Why would you ask me to do something that's not biblically recorded for you, you know, when it's not something that you would practice on your own. And he goes, I do. Oh, I do. I, you, you do. You, you practice that on your own? He goes, yeah. When I'm at home, sometimes I'll lay hands on myself and pass out. Wow. Okay, I don't even know how to answer that. But let me just assure you, I'm not going to practice it. So, I mean, there's just sometimes you can't speak truth into somebody's life and... I don't know, but yeah, he never came back to church, but that's okay. Because obviously he wanted me to bring glory to God in a way that I don't see biblically I'm called to bring glory to God to do. But that's, that's the most important thing is just watch for that discernment, pray for it, that you don't get sucked into something that you're not to, that, you're, that, that the Lord would not have you to, to walk in. You think, well, I don't even understand why. In, the, in, 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 Ezekiel, in, in Ezekiel's book, there is a, a portion of scripture, on, and it doesn't come to mind right now, but the meaning of it sticks with me because back in Chicago, I had in my fellowship a lot of former Catholics. And they struggled with how they could read in the paper that, you know, these little things that record, like, I prayed to St. Jude so many times, and this miracle was answered. And I prayed to, you know, St. So-and-so, and this happened, you know, where they... They would bury statues of Joseph upside down in their yard to sell their house and stuff, you know, and they would proclaim this stuff. And people would go, well, if it's not true, then why does God answer it? And he says, he makes it very clear in the book of Ezekiel that he will, if you choose to follow away a wrong, he will let you follow it, even to the point where he will answer according to your folly. Because you refuse the truth. It's like, it's, it just breaks down as simple as Jesus saying, I'm the only way, truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but by me. Well, I don't know about that. Well, then there's nothing else the Father can do. He's given you his son. His son has told you the truth. He will, in every way, reveal that truth more and more to you in a deeper way if you will walk in it. But if you choose not to believe it, what else is he supposed to do? Right? The rich man with Lazarus, send me back so I can tell my brothers, man, that, that man, this is what's going to happen if they don't believe. No, they have the prophets. They have Moses. They have the writings. You're not going back. They need to believe. See, we have a choice. This is life. We want to walk in it. Man, we, that's what we need to be about. Okay, I got to move. So the Lord said to Moses, verse, verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's banks to meet him. And the rod which was turned into a serpent 
You shall take in your hand. You shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord. You know that's serious. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall turn to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the, the water of the, of the river. So, again, you see this, this miracle happening that God is going to now foul the water. And again, the Nile... Egyptian god. They would worship the god of the Nile. They had gods of streams, they had gods of ponds, they had gods of the Nile, the big one, you know. And so he's going to now, again, conquer their god or defile their god or give them reason so that they should not believe in their god. You know, well, he was just a little lazy that day and he didn't see the red thing coming. I don't know. But he's trying to get them again to see him, that they may know that I am the Lord. He's always trying to get people to turn to him. He's not doing this just to be cantankerous or cruel or let me show those Egyptians, you know, something. And, and isn't that what the world says? All these third world countries that are suffering all this devastation and all this starvation and all this, man, the droughts and everything. And, and woe be it to you if you suggest that they would turn to God to have that land healed. Because then you're trying to force your religion on them and then they, the world gets all uppity. But that's the truth, is God is always trying to, you see, get these people to turn to him. Now, many, and they look at the, the plagues like this, and they go, well, that was just a coincidence. I mean, it was, you know, I think even in the, um, in the Ten Commandments, right? Isn't it, Ewell Brenner's like, there was, the, you know, there was red mud that spewed up at the, at the top of the river. You know, he tried to explain away the turning of the, of the river to blood to make it red, you know? Maybe even now we've got like red tides that happen in California, right? When there's too much algae or plankton or something in the water and all the algae sucks up all the oxygen so the water turns red and stuff. And it's like, well, that's probably what was happening here, you know? And it's like, or maybe it was that, or, you know, the, if there was a meteor going over and it dropped so much iron ore into the water, it would actually turn the water red. And of course, that would then give a little bit of hail and brimstone, which actually is coming to be another, you know? So they give this rational reasoning for it. And all you have to do is just go, Right at the time when he put the staff in the water? Wow. Like, you know, God may use absolutely natural phenomenons to create miracle supernatural experiences, but he will do it in his time frame according to his frame, right? It's like you can't deny that God has done this. You might not be able to explain it, or maybe you can explain it away, but you can't deny the time that he did it as being him. Get out of the truck now. Well, it's so cold outside. I don't know. I just really, you know, get out of the truck now. And you do. And God shows himself to have answered. And, and, and I love that, man. And so, again, he's just showing himself greater and in power over the gods that they have all been following all these years. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and over the rivers, over the ponds and over the pools of water, that they may become blood. 
and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up his rod and struck the waters that were in the rivers, in, in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of the servants, and all the waters that that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the rivers died, the rivers stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So again, when God does it, he does it big. Supernatural, it's big. Now there's no water to be found anywhere, even in a bucket and a pitcher. You know, you can't get away from it, right? Then the magicians of Egypt did so, oh, look at this, with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart, what did they do again? It grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the waters of the river. You see, that's really where it should end because then it says, and seven days passed after the Lord struck the water. So that almost insinuates that the plague lasted seven days. That's not really what it's saying because then it goes on to say, and the Lord spoke to Moses So in verse 8. So anyway, seven days after this plague, then God again spoke to Moses and you know gives him gives Pharaoh a week. But the idea that um, Satan's men can imitate this curse or this plague, right, is signs of it. Now, again, the irony of that, it's like, we really could use some clean water around here. Let me show you how we can turn it into blood, too. If, If Satan really wanted to show himself stronger than God or in contrast to this circumstance, right? He would have turned the water pure. How about that one? No, but see, he doesn't turn water pure. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And you see God trying to get a hold completely of Pharaoh's heart by exampling these things, but he won't choose to listen. He hardens his heart. And how many times, even even in our own walk, do we see the miraculous happen? Do we see God moving in supernatural ways and we just excuse it away? Or we don't really think it applies to us? Or, well, that's for somebody else. And God would say, no, the reason you saw it, the reason you experienced it, the reason you're involved in this at all is so that you will be more what I've created you to be. And I think that's so much what I want to get out of this, that Pharaoh rejected God's evidences so much that hardness happened. And after a while, God just said, have it your way, and firmed it up. And that leads, man, to the end being the end of Pharaoh. Amen?